Welcome to the Continuing Education Podcast for CASA Volunteers, connecting you with experts who can advance your advocacy for children and families. I'm your host, Maggie Halpin, and this is CASA On The Go. Well, we are so happy to have the brilliant Kate Murphy in the studio with us today to talk about issues um, related to pregnant and parenting youth in foster care and um, how we can um, support the youth we're working with as advocates around understanding healthy relationship dynamics and reproductive health and supporting um, new families with young parents who are in foster care. So um, Kate is the Senior Child Welfare Policy Associate with Texans Care for Children, where you've done a lot of really powerful work around these issues. Um, so we're just so happy to have you with us. And if you would just start off by talking a little bit about your work and your background, that would be wonderful. Sure. Um, I'm Kate Murphy, uh, just just like you said, and I um, have been at Texans Care for about three years. Texans Care for Children, for people who don't know, is a multi-issue state policy advocacy organization. So we work on all kinds of different kids' issues. Um, I tell people we do pretty much everything that um, affects children except for school finance and school curriculum, and occasionally we'll dabble in those too. Um, But I focus on our work around child abuse and neglect prevention and foster care reform. Um, And so we cover a whole range of issues, um, but one of the issues that we've been working on a lot over the last three years is this issue of how do we prevent pregnancy for youth in foster care, and um, and then how do we keep families together when a youth becomes pregnant in foster care, and how do we really support that new uh, family unit. Um, and that was really important to us because we really work hard to try to make sure that youth are able to thrive, um, and then also that families are able to stay together when we can do that in a way that's um, really safe and beneficial, and we can make sure that that's, you know, best for best for the kid, and in this case, um, both of the kids. Yeah. Um, so it's been uh, it's been fun to get to work on those issues for me. Fun and sad sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I mean, I think that these are all issues that we just don't um, talk about enough in child welfare, um, at least you know from where I've been. And so um, I'm just really, really excited to have this opportunity to learn from you and um, talk about what advocates can do to um, support youth around these issues. Um, so, um, and I just want to say quickly, as we talk about these issues, I just want to be really careful to clarify that, um, our intention is, of course, not to stigmatize teen parents or in any way pass any judgment, um, on the choice to become pregnant or to become a parent at a young age. Um, we just want to empower young people and their advocates with information so that they're making informed decisions, um, about their own bodies and about their health and their futures. So um, let's start off with talking about the big picture, right? So um, we know, for one thing, like broadly speaking, um, that Texas has one of the highest teen birth rates in the country. Um, And we also know that youth in Texas foster care and young people who are foster care alumni um, have an even higher risk of early pregnancy. So could you kind of talk a little bit about those numbers and help us understand the big picture? Yeah, so as you said, Texas has a very high uh, pregnancy rate among teens and young adults. Um, we have the highest rate, actually, for uh, re- repeat pregnancies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then if you look at foster care, um, it's about five times higher. So kids in foster care, teenagers in foster care, about five times more likely than other teenagers in Texas to become pregnant, um, which is which is pretty high. The alumni rate is a little bit harder to figure out. Um, there, there are estimates out there that range. Um, some say that it's around 40% of foster care alumni that become uh, young parents, or um, there are others that say over 50. There are some that are as high as around 70%. Um, so it's definitely a big issue. Um, it's it's a challenging number to get a perfect handle on because we're looking at um, a group that may be a little bit mobile where, you know, they're not in care anymore necessarily. So it's just harder to track and really pin down what that number is. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, those numbers um, seem a little alarming. And so I um, I think it'll be, it's important for advocates to, as they're hearing them, to really focus on um, considering them from a trauma-informed lens. Um, so wh- one of the reasons that um, foster youth often cite for these higher rates of pregnancy and early parenthood is lack of supportive and loving relationships, right? So can you talk a little bit about the ways that that might factor in? Absolutely. I think one of the reasons that we we see higher rates is because a lot of youth have experienced trauma. And this is something that um, is true for any child that's experienced trauma, right? Like we know that um, if a child had, you know, a traumatic experience when they were younger, that they're going to be more likely, if they're not supported well, if they don't receive um, the the kind of supports and healing that they need for that trauma, they are more likely to engage in some risk-taking behaviors, and some of those can be sexual behaviors. Um it may be as simple as the youth just doesn't have someone that they trust to talk to. So they don't know where to go get information that they need to make good decisions or to make um, responsible decisions or make the right decision for them. Right. Um, You know, a lot of us are lucky to have an adult in our life as kids that we can talk to about anything. A lot of youth in foster care don't feel like they have that. Um, And I think that, you know, that desire to have love in a family is just like a very normal human thing that most people have and most people want. Um, And so being able to encourage kids to really think about um, when they want to do that and what they want to do first and when is the right time um, is an important thing to be able to do. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about access to contraception, um, as well as information about access to information about how to use it effectively. Uh, something that struck me, um, I was reading this wonderful report that Texans Care for Children put together last year um, around these issues, and I came across a number uh, that said only 56% of youth in foster care used contraception the first time that they had sex compared to 72% of their non-foster care peers. And to read that only about half of um, these youth uh, were using contraception when they first became sexually active just really made me feel like, wow, we are not doing enough as advocates to uh, empower these young people across the board, but particularly young people in foster care um, when it comes to education about making safe and healthy choices, because we know that 
unplanned pregnancy is only one of the potential, you know, repercussions of unprotected sex, right? So can you speak a little to some of the specific underlying reasons for this lower rate of contraception use? Like what might be going on with that? Well, I think the main thing is honestly that adults who are around the kids feel really uncomfortable talking to kids about sex. And I think that's normal, right? Like, um, it's a hard conversation to have and it's hard for um, an adult to come and present that information to a kid. I know one of the things we heard in our research is that um, adults were worried that the kid would think, oh, well, then it's okay to have sex because they're talking to me about it. Or um, there was just a lot of discomfort, like I don't know if I'm sharing the right information or I don't know if what I'm saying is going to be helpful or I don't want to make them uncomfortable, right? Um, But what we heard from youth was that they wanted to have the conversations and that they didn't understand why everyone made such a big deal out of it and they couldn't just talk about it um, or why they would get kind of a blow off if they asked questions. Um, And so I think yeah, it's just one of those things where it's it's almost like the youth are wanting to talk, um, but adults don't know how to have the conversation in a way that um, feels right and comfortable for them. Yeah. Uh, well, and I think and also in researching these issues, your team heard from directly impacted youth mm-hmm. that something else that they feel that they need is um, relationships with healthy adults who care about them and who will have real conversations with them about things like self-worth and confidence and self-esteem and about their goals for their future and their dreams. So do you have any thoughts for CASA advocates about the importance of talking to youth about those things as well? Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, CASA is a great a great person to be having these conversations with youth because we hear from youth a lot that their CASA volunteer really was that person that they felt like they could trust um, or really was that person who was there the whole time. Um, yeah, and so that's an exciting that's an exciting relationship to have and that's an exciting role that a CASA can play. Um, and, you know, this isn't just for youth in foster care, right? Like kids who have goals and dreams and high self-esteem and high self-worth are much more likely to delay pregnancy. And there's a lot of research about that just across the board, not just for youth in foster care. Um, and so really helping youth cultivate that and Um, understand what their rights are, understand, you know, what some of the repercussions are. There's a lot of evidence that if you are able to share information and share appropriate information with youth, that they're much more likely to make decisions that are good decisions for them. Um, And so I think that CASAs should feel empowered to have these kind of conversations and to be able to talk to youth about it, even if it feels a little uncomfortable, because I think it's something that youth want to know about and want to hear about and could be really set up to um, not only delay pregnancy, but also if you're, you know, empowering youth to feel good about themselves and pursue what they're passionate about, that's going to help set them up for success in all kinds of ways. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think we want youth to be hearing those messages from us about their value as a person and um, how, how important they are. Um, and I think it Uh, One particular example when I was reading the report that really just got me um, with that connection between a lack of 
feeling a sense of self-worth and then feeling disempowered to maybe draw boundaries with an intimate partner um, was this example um, of a home health provider saying that a lot of youth feel unloved and that because of this, they may be worried that if they, say, ask their partner to use a condom, for example, that that may jeopardize their relationship. Um, so I really just want to em- emphasize the importance to CASA volunteers listening that building support, building strong rapport with the CASA kids and finding moments to have encouraging and supportive conversations with youth about, you know, gaining confidence in themselves and about how valuable they are um, and how we can support them in achieving their dreams and goals, um, that that's really important. And as far as talking to youth about sex and about consent and STIs and pregnancy and contraception and all of those just really important, um, but also sometimes really personal feeling things, I think that there is a lack of clarity um, for a lot of uh, child welfare stakeholders about who is supposed to be having these um, conversations with youth about reproductive health and safe and healthy relationship dynamics. So two-part question. Um, For youth in foster care who are, you know, age 13 or older, who is supposed to be having developmentally appropriate, informed, and supportive conversations with these teens and what can CASAs do to make sure that someone is talking with youth about these important issues? So one of the things that we have in minimum standards actually is that caregivers are supposed to have conversations with youth about healthy relationships and reproductive health. Um, That isn't something that we track very well as a state. It's not something we track at all as a state, whether that's happening, but it is part of minimum standards requirements for foster parents. Um, But I do think that everyone has a role in talking to youth about these issues. And I think that starting at 13 sometimes um, is too late, right? Um, Like it would be really good if we could have developmentally appropriate conversations with youth about some of these issues earlier, because we do know that there are youth in foster care as young as 10 or 11 who are becoming pregnant. Um, And so... The other, the other caveat to that, caseworkers used to have a lot of um, specific stuff in, in policy about what youth's rights were, and that has kind of shifted, um, that, that language that's in policy has changed, and it now says that it's the doctor's responsibility to get appropriate consent for contraceptive care. So it's a little bit fuzzier, but doctors also need to know how to have these conversations with youth who want to have them. Yeah. Okay. Um, And in thinking about having these conversations, there's one resource that I want to point people to, which Mm -hmm. is a toolkit called When You Decide. Um, And it has a ton of great information as well as helpful sample scripts about um, appropriate ways to talk to youth about motivations for their future plans and knowledge about sex and sexual health. And that's on our learning center, learn.texascasa.org. And I would really specifically encourage anyone advocating for the best interest of a young person um, to read over the sections on how to listen to youth and answer their questions about sexuality and sex and birth control and relationships in a non-judgmental way that's focused, you know, not on our own personal beliefs, but um, on providing a safe space and accurate information for the youth um, and determining what's going to be right for them. And of course, one key principle of talking about sexual health 
who, who, regardless of who is having that conversation, is self-awareness of your own personal values and uh, beliefs regarding all kinds of, you know, sexuality issues. So um, I'd also say for CASA volunteers to please just talk to your CASA supervisor before you, you know, talk to a youth um, about these important topics. Um, so let's see. Um, for young people in foster care who decide to become parents, we want to, of course, ensure that they're receiving the best supports and services um, to help preserve their family. So, and whether that's during pregnancy or as they're um, caring for their infant. So what resources and supports are out there that we should have on our radars for young folks in that situation? Yeah, one of the best resources that's out there is the Helping Through Intervention and Prevention Program. Um, that is not available statewide, but it is available in a lot of areas of the state. Um, if you're a volunteer that lives in the valley, lives in the panhandle, lives in certain other kind of more rural areas, uh, you may or may not have access to HIP. That's the acronym for the program. Um, but that is a program that is really designed for current and former foster youth who have kids under the age of three. Um, and it's set up to help them be good parents and it has really good success rates. Um, there are also maternity homes in some parts of the state um, that provide a lot of services and support for pregnant and parenting youth. Um, and then another thing that is new after this session is HB 475. Um, that, and the goal of that bill was to try to fill in some of the gaps that exist around the um, helping through intervention and prevention or HIP program. So because we know that's not available everywhere and we have youth who are becoming pregnant in areas where it's not available, um, we're really trying to get some some good information about parenting and how to keep their family safely together and how to really preserve that family to youth. Um, and so that's a new bill and it has things like information about safe sleep practices mm -hmm. and child development and the importance of play and nutrition and all kinds of things that you might get in a in a parenting class to really help um, support those kids and their families. Awesome. Well, those are a lot of great resources to know about. Um, and maternity homes, would that be a specific type of placement for a young woman who has um, a baby? Yeah, so it's a type of general residential operation. Um, we used to have them disaggregated, so they were easier to find. Now they're not as easy to find, but they still exist. Um, but they are specifically for moms and babies to live together in a, in a community of other moms and babies. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Um, and I want to mention one thing in thinking about that, that um, I think that our society often places more responsibility for pregnancy and, um, you know, raising children on women. And I think y'all's report does such a wonderful job of underscoring that we really need to equally include young men or youth of any gender identity who can cause um, pregnancy in this. So we want people of all gender identities um, being, you know, provided with complete and accurate and ongoing information, not just a one-off conversation, right? Um, and being supported and taking responsibility for each of their own choices that could lead to a pregnancy. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Um, and, and one of the things, you know, when we're looking at uh, young men or dads, um, is that they're harder to identify. It's harder to find them, right. you know, because it's going to be based on self-reporting. Sometimes they might not even know um, or be certain 
Um, and so it's a lot harder to, ne- to to find them and to support them in the way that they need to be supported and should be supported. But absolutely, that is something that we need to be doing a better job of. Yeah. Awesome. Well, this is all such great information. I feel like I've learned a lot just from reading this report and having this conversation with you today. Um, and so thank you so much for taking the time to join us. Um, and before we wrap up, there's a few other resources I want to throw out there. And if there's any you want to add, please do. Um, I would totally recommend that advocates check out loveisrespect.org, which is an awesome resource that exists to educate and empower young people to prevent and end abusive dating relationships. And another one is Jane's Due Process, which is an awesome organization that ensures legal representation for pregnant minors in Texas to protect the pregnant teenagers' rights in various circumstances. Any other resources you feel like our advocates should have on their radars? Yeah, it's probably worth knowing about Brave Conversations, which is a curriculum that uh, Monica Faulkner at UT designed for caregivers and adults who are working with kids. Awesome. um, Which is a really good curriculum about how you have these conversations. If you want more than you can read, more than just something you can read, um, she she still does those trainings and it's a really solid one. A couple of other things that people should probably have on their radar are um, there's a new project um, that is a collaboration in the Houston area um, that Texans Care for Children, the Texas Campaign to Prevent Teen Pregnancy, Texas Network of Youth Services, um, DFPS, and um, some other local partners uh, are working on to really dig a little bit deeper into this issue um, that's ongoing. Um, and there should be some new research coming out around it um, in probably early to mid-2020, awesome. which is exciting. Um, and then also the Family First Prevention Services Act, which goes into effect in Texas in 2021, um, creates some new funding opportunities for um, prevention services that support pregnant and parenting youth in foster care. And so we may see some new things creeping up or popping up as a result of that too. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you again so much for joining us. And thanks to y'all for listening. And we hope you'll join us next time. 